Welcome to Oral Phonic. This is episode 35. I'm Hannah Nobira, and I am here with the lovely and talented Kitsune Hart. And today we're going to be talking about Homestuck. Yes, Homestuck. <laughs> I can already see a lot of people skipping this episode. Don't. It's so awesome, guys. Yes. You don't even know. It's, it's great fun. But I guess before we get into that, we should talk about, uh, it looks like we only have two news items to go over. The first one is the the informal Twitter podfic exchange, or ITPE, is in progress. Assignments have been made, so the formal part is set up. But if you still want to participate, they have put out a treat list where people have put down things that they would love to have recorded. And there is a link on our pin board, as well as links on the ITPE Twitter account. So if you'd still like to do some recording, go check those out. Our next announcement is from Podfic Broken Telephone. I got an email today saying that, holy smokes, we've been busy. We have 44 completed Podfics. And the one issue they are having right now is scheduling because uh, just making sure everybody's available with the holidays and everything before the final thing is due. But they say, we'll have everyone through by mid-December right on schedule. We're thinking of a December 19th or December 20th release date. So once all of your awesome hashtag ITPE podfix are in and all there is left to do is wait, you'll get three beautiful chain-shaped distractions. So I'm so cool. I'm so glad they are scheduling right after ITPE is due. So once you finally like panic and rush and procrastinate and get ITP turned in, you'll be able to sit back and relax and listen to 44 podfix apparently. So Podfic Broken Telephone is where one person started off a chain where they recorded a story they liked and sent it on to another person anonymously who had to record something similar, who sent that one on anonymously to somebody else in the chain to record something similar. And so I recorded my story because all I heard was the story in the chain before me. And I have no idea how we started and I have no idea how we're going to end up, but I am dying to find out. This is going to be so much fun. I wish I was aware of these things much earlier than I ever am because they always sound so fun and then I do not do them. Uh, so I need to pay attention. It's being run by uh, Cantorina Warp Warp on her Twitter. It's a pretty informal thing, I think. So if you want to follow her probably for details. All right. And it looks like we did not get any talkbacks this month or, or we're saving those perhaps for next month since it is just the two of us. I guess we want to get on to the main topic. Yay! And so just to give a quick summary, we I just wanted to cover what is Homestuck. Oh boy, quick summary. Uh, trying to do my best, yeah. Um, so it is primarily a webcomic with a lot of text, though it does have offshoots into other media, such as video, music, video games, and some others. It's very heavily inspired by mid-90s video game culture, and especially the video game Earthbound, as well as the mid-20-aughts to early 2010s internet chat culture. And the plot itself begins with a group of four children who are playing a video game, which does not cause the apocalypse, but it does serve as a potential escape route from the apocalypse for those four children if they should win the game. But... They're 12 years old, and things very rapidly go awry. And that's, I think that's how I want to describe it right there, if you have any. Sure. Uh, it is a lot of words. It's over 800,000 words total. But each page starts with a picture up at the top, and it might be just a static image, or it might be like an animated GIF. And then the characters chatting, and they're usually, most of the story is told through online internet text chats below that. And then you click to the next page, and it's another GIF, and then another internet chat conversation. Um, but as he started bringing more and more people into work on the show with him, they started adding in like flash games, there's puzzles you can solve, there's a lot of music. I think there's like 20 CDs. They just came out with Hive Swap, which is a video game. And because it's an online story, there's really, really cool things he can do with a storytelling technique. So for example, uh, kind of spoilery, but several of the characters can travel through time and there's a lot of time loops. 
So if you go and you read the story now, it's different from the way it was when it was first published. Like the continuity has changed because of time travel. And so you have to dig around and see what originally happened when he first started posting the com comic. And then at other points, yeah, you have to put in a password. So if you reach a certain point in the story where the time travel has happened, they'll give you a password. And then you can go and see how continuity in the timeline has been changed. And so it, it branches off in different directions. And that's really, really fun. It also has these like choose your character screens where it'll say like a, you're in a Mortal Kombat game. It'll say like, choose your character. And you choose one of the characters and follow them off on an adventure for a while. And then it loops you right back to the choose your character screen. And you have to keep doing that and looping through all the characters before you can progress with the story. So there's a lot of fun things where he really fully takes advantage of it being an online medium. He links you to YouTube, he links you to Wikipedia. At one point in Act 6, I guess he got tired of drawing the comic, so all of a sudden it turns into claymation. Because <laughs> why not claymation? Sure. <laughs> and just, you know, it just never gets boring. There's always something random and new popping up, and that's one of the reasons why I love it. And it has a lot of repeating jokes in it, and some that will come back, you know, literally thousands of pages later. So multiple read-throughs, if you can manage that with all the time it takes, you'll discover old jokes that were planned out just ages in advance, or, well, years in advance, I suppose. I mean, it is 800,000 words. So imagine you read 50,000 words of something, and then you wait, and 700,000 words later, it's like, this seems vaguely familiar. Oh, my God. <laughs> I definitely recall when it was actively updating, because it is... So, so I think it's technically done. Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, my, my understanding is that there's like an epilogue which is supposed to be happening that just hasn't happened yet. And I have no idea what's going on there. But when it was actively being updated, you would have your friends who would discover an in-joke. And then there would just be rounds of groaning throughout the internet as you realized that some pun had been set up. It's very heavy on puns and just a lot of good humor. One thing that can be kind of a barrier for getting into the story is when it first started off, a lot of it was directed by fans. And it's kind of a parody of the, the old text games that they used to have in like the 80s where it starts off and there's this kid, John, and he's in his room. And the author would ask, what should John do next? And he would take suggestions from the internet. So John just like randomly starts swearing and he jumps on his bed and he wanders around. And it, it kind of takes a while for the story to pick up in Act 1 because he was letting the, the internet direct what happened. Uh, so, you know, it's funny kind of as a parody of these old text games, but I think can be kind of a barrier for fans getting into the story because... Yeah, Act 1, there's a lot of dithering around before anything actually happens. But he did allow fans to make a lot of really cool decisions and shape where the story went, particularly in Act 1 and 2 before it got so hugely popular that he had to stop doing that because he would get 10 million replies. And this was actually because this is the story style he had been implementing before. He had previous webcomics on the website. So if you go to the website, you'll notice it's MS Paint Adventures. Homestuck is like a subsection of that. And his previous comics were Bard Quest, Jailbreak, and the most popular one was Problem Sleuth. And those were all things where fans would put in suggestions and he would pick something and the story would build from there. And like at the very end, he would pause suggestions and wrap everything up. But with Homestuck, he had to pause suggestions really early on. He realized if he was going to get anything done, he was going to have to just do this on his own. And as I mentioned, it, since it is primarily a webcomic, but the online presentation really allowed for, you know, one of the first multimedia storytelling experiences on the internet because you could link to different things to go check out. So you would have your video, but also your music and games. And at one point, the comic links to a completely different webcomic of absolutely terrible quality. Um, <laughs> deliberately uh, terrible. Yes, de deliberately terrible quality, which doesn't have a direct bearing on the events of the comic, but it does have a lot of echoes of Homestuck within that subcomic. 
And at the very end, he started updating via Snapchat as well, which was a fun experience, actually. So it it is a very interesting take on, you know, what storytelling capabilities you can have on the internet as opposed to, you know, before when we just had, you know, oh, it's a book or oh, it's television or a movie or something like that. Do we want to cover like the plot a little bit? Oof. Oh, gosh. We can try. Yeah, we can try. As Kitsune Hart said, there are these four teenagers and they start playing this video game together. And, well, it doesn't go well, and pretty soon Earth is destroyed, and they're, they're inside the Incipisphere, so they're inside the world of the game, and just trying to survive. And the promise is, if they can win the game, they can create a new universe that they can go and live in and rule. But it, then there's all these other universes that were also created through the game, and that's where you meet the trolls. So if most people know anything about Homestuck... They know the gray aliens with the orange and yellow horns. Those are called trolls. And it turns out internet trolls, they're actually an alien species from an alternate universe. And they're pissed because we humans kind of accidentally had a role in destroying their universe. And that's why they're so cranky all the time. And so the humans and the trolls have to work together. And there's a big bad. And, and it, it gets really complicated from there on. But that's kind of the es- essence of the story. Yeah, definitely for the troll storyline, it is something that I I think you first start seeing them in just text form, as in you first start reading their words in Act 2 or 3, and it takes quite a while before you see them. And then when you finally get to Act 5, that is when we focus on their storyline and find that they are also involved in this same game, but just an earlier version of it. Trying to figure out what I can talk about without spoiling everything. Yeah. The problem is, it it is all time loops and everything feeds into itself. So there's really not much we can say about what happens at the beginning of the story without giving away large chunks of the end of the story. One thing that I think can be a barrier to getting into Homestuck is you are definitely stuck in this universe where everything is a giant massive time loop and everything causes everything else. And you don't figure that out and start to work through the time loops until much later in the story. So you kind of have to go in not knowing at all what's going on and then slowly figure it out as you read, which I really enjoyed. But I know a lot of people, uh, like my husband gave up in Act 1 because he just didn't have the patience to work through what was happening. (laughs) If you would like to try and get into it, what I can really recommend is there's a YouTube group called Voxus who did a... It's not a full recording of the comic. I think they've recorded about three quarters of it, but well into the point where you should be hooked. And so you could put that on on YouTube and watch that for many, many hours. And hopefully that will get you to the point where you would be able to start reading what's left. And the voices actually are extremely good and the production quality is great. So basically it's set up so that you'll see the image of each page and you'll hear the the chat text as well as some sound effects and such. So it's a very good way to get into it early, again, about three quarters of it, through a good deal of the story. Yeah, so there's like a massive kind of semi-official podfic of most of the fandom, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I actually went through a while ago and ripped all the audio from that and every so often it's I'm gonna listen to Homestuck and I'll just load it on and it's it's something like 60 hours of audio that I can listen to that's just reading through most of Homestuck and it is it is quite a delight yeah do they have plans to finish it because I know they're they're in the middle of act six and uh, everybody listeners there are seven acts total but seven is act seven is just a video so, I mean, they're, they're so close to the end. My understanding is that they are getting near to the end of Act 6 and they plan to finish the section that they're in. It might not be the entirety of Act 6, but they're going to finish the section they're in and then decide if they're going to be releasing more. However, that announcement was made several months ago and nothing has happened since. So it, it might have just stalled out completely. But it's still a significant amount of media that they have produced, and it's very 
laudable what they have managed to get done. Yeah, I wonder if we need to get Podfickers together and and make sure it gets finished because it's so close. It's just another couple of scenes, really. It wouldn't be more than a few hours, I don't think, do you? Uh, you know, you think that, and then you realize that there are subsections of Act 6. Because if I recall, the place where they leave off is before some fairly text-heavy bits. Um, so I wouldn't say a couple hours. I would say at least at least 10 hours of audio. So, And that does not include the editing, of course, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go through Act 6, Act 3. So yeah, there is a, a chunk left. Huh. Act six, act three. <sighs> yeah, the author has somewhat of an idiosyncratic naming convention for the different parts of the story. Yeah, he and he's definitely at that point, he's making fun of himself because he earlier on he had act five, which was subdivided into act five, act one and act five, act two. And then he just starts making fun of himself. And there is a very significant authorial insert of himself within this comic that he is actually a character that appears and does things on occasion in grand like your your earliest fanfic moments except he is a grown-ass man (laughs) and it actually works so there's that well some of it i mean he his love for briska is endlessly futile (laughs) and so a lot of you are probably aware of at least aware of Homestuck, if if you have not, you know, been part of the Homestuck fandom or attempted to before, it's surely if you have a Tumblr, you've had friends who are in it who used to reblog things that might not reblog them anymore. Its biggest fan presence online would have been between 2011 and 2013, and that was the point where it was it was very difficult to be on Tumblr without running across any sort of homestuck material. There was the the very common joke of running across some sort of innocuous post about the Zodiac, and somebody would make the comment of, oh, this is such a great homestuck post, and somebody would reply as, you know, not everything is homestuck. And then, of course, no, it was literally a homestuck post because it was it was so pervasive and... I want to say viral, but it, a little more insidious than a virus. Yeah, the, the connection is the there's 12 trolls, and each troll is associated with a Zodiac sign. So, yeah, any post about the Zodiac can be taken over by Homestuck fans. Like, even now, every so often, I'll see a new post, and I look at it, and I have to look at it for a long time to figure out if if it's just a Zodiac post or if it's a Homestuck post. And some of them can be very subtle. You know, I'm going to have to think about that because I I don't have many Homestuck fans on my timeline. And so I always thought they were just Zodiac posts. But now I'm going to have to look through and see what stuff has been repeated, retweeted onto my timeline in the past like month. And how many of that do I suspect is secretly about Homestuck characters? Well, I do think like in the last year, there was has been this entire meme of, you know, uh, Zodiac posts, and a lot of those were not connected, but every so often one would sneak in. Mm-hmm. And part of how this was such a uh, large and active online community is actually kind of how it messed with the service itself of the website and other websites. On on several different occasions, when a new update of the webcomic came out, because it wasn't on a set schedule, it was sort of... It would be sporadic. I would say almost akin in a way to the Steven Universe update schedule of nothing for several months and then all of a sudden everything at once. When these updates would come out, people would rush to the website and crash it. And then people would try and put it up on mirrors and those would be crashed as well because of the server load. And on one occasion, a flash animation came after a very long gap of several months and it, of course, crashed the website, but they also posted it on Newgrounds and crashed Newgrounds as well. The sort of swarms of Homestucks in the early 2010s were almost just a destructive force online at occasion. Yeah, I guess Homestuck also got kind of a bad reputation at conventions because a lot of the fans were really, really young and just 
weren't meanly intentioned, just didn't know what they were doing. And so they would start flash mobs that would lead with hundreds of people show up and not have planned for this many people to show up massively inconveniences people, massively inconveniences the convention. People would get really upset at them. Yeah, I was involved in the convention scene at the time and definitely part of the problem was a lot of the fans at time were in their, I would say, mostly late teens and a few, and a bit of the early 20s. And it was their first in-person fan experience. This uh, Homestuck really brought a lot of people into the real world. Rather than just posting online, they would actually go meet up in person. And they did not know what the convention culture and expectations were. So there was definitely problems where we would have, even with scheduled meetups, you know, scheduled and advertised by the convention, you know, the meetup would end and then there would perhaps be trash left everywhere or people just wouldn't leave at the time they were supposed to so that whatever the meetup after them was not able to actually meet properly because it was still filled with all of these Homestuck fans. And I guess kind of like my sort of my worst experience with that would have been at a convention where after the meetup ended, you know, a few people had found out that this particular soda, which appears in the comic Fago, which I'm sure plenty of you on the East Coast are like, what's so special about this? Uh, it's that thing that the Juggalos drink, but I don't get it. They figured out that it was being sold at a nearby store and so a number of very young fans went over and just stole quite a bit of it. And this store had actually been a meetup space for my local fan community. So we had to go back and as individuals, I know, and paid for what was stolen. But we have since not been welcomed back. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's... For quite a lot of people, it kind of ends up being sort of a, we talk about, you know, not shaming people for their interests and, you know, cringe culture is kind of a, you know, really negative thing, but it ends up being sort of a almost shameful memory for some of these people remembering the behavior of themselves and their peers as these now mid-twenties now, and they're realizing what some of the behaviors and the consequences of their behaviors were from back then. It was a learning experience for a lot of people. Yeah, the, the one I heard about from an artist friend of mine was that teenagers would put on the gray body paint to cosplay as trolls and not know you needed to put like a fixer or a sealant or something on top of that. And then they would go to artist alleys at conventions and touch everything and leave gray body paint everywhere. And so a lot of artists were not happy with them. I am seeing that to a slightly lesser extent, luckily, now with a lot of the Steven Universe cosplayers also do body paint. But part of that, they have learned from the mistakes of their peers and they are learning to fix properly or make colored gloves. And also there's fewer of them. So luckily, Steven Universe is not getting the same reputation of just the destructiveness of their outfits yet. But, I mean, I don't want to be too down because the fandom is amazing. Like, Homestuck has fan art. Like, I don't think I've ever seen in any other fandom. And uh, I wanted to talk about fan vids a little bit later, but some of this stuff on YouTube is mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. It was very conducive to creative works because one of the things that was said sort of as a joke by the creator Andrew Hussey was every person's fan troll and every ship is canon. So there was really not a limitation on your creativity because in some aspect of the world, it was canon. So you could create quite a lot of experimentational and interesting stories and artworks. Yeah, I guess we could maybe link them in the pen board, but I put together some links of some of the, the cool things they do in Homestuck that I don't think I've seen in pretty much any other fandom. So they... The fans do illustrate missing scenes. The one that pops to mind for me is Rex Duo Decim Angelus, where they just a bunch of fans just got together and animated this huge fight scene that the trolls had in their version of the video game. And like how many dozens, hundreds of people worked together to make this video, right? It was kind of like 
it was talked about and people worked on it and then it disappeared for a while and then all of a sudden it was done and it is several minutes long uh different art styles and it is quite beautiful and they would also do these things called lyric stucks where an artist would take lyrics to a song they like that they felt matched with a homestuck or a character and they would illustrate the song and then sometimes it would be somebody else would come along and take those illustrations and put them to the music so it's it's a fan vid but it's not clips from canon it's all like hand-drawn gorgeous animation by fans put to music to make this fan vid i linked to my favorite of those warriors but there's a lot of really really beautiful ones I recently saw a post on Tumblr that somebody was talking about, oh yeah, and I did a lyric stuck, and somebody responded with, what's the stuck from lyric stuck for? And there was just this awkward pause as as they remembered. I often, I think now, see it referred to as lyric art, but basically if you've ever listened to a song and wanted to make a music video, they just did it, and it was great. They also were the origin of MEPs, or Multiple Editor Projects, where they would get together 20 artists and pick a song, and each artist would be called on to illustrate 20 minutes of that song. Some of them are kind of cool. Some of them, like the the individual artists, obviously didn't coordinate really well, so every 20 seconds the the song really drastically switches art style, and it doesn't always necessarily fit together too well. But I, I linked to one that I thought was like pretty well done. And it's a, it's a fun way to see a bunch of different artists take on this one same song and how it relates to the canon. I also mentioned real life stucks, which is what I call them. I don't know if there's a, an actual fan name for them, but people on YouTube would just like illustrate normal real life AUs. So there's one called store stuck where all the characters work at a grocery store and it goes really poorly. And then there's one called restaurant stuck where they all work at a restaurant and it's just fans getting together and animating these AUs and they get together voice actors and they act out and do all the dialogue and stuff. And it's really impressive work. I think the uh, two that I am most familiar with are uh, Marching Band Stuck and its sequel Prom Stuck. Oh, I don't think Uh, I've seen either of those. Oh, they're good. It's, as you can imagine, it is a marching band AU. And then following that marching band story, they actually go to prom. It maintains, I would say, all of the main characters, as well as the notions of romance and shipping in a high school environment, which is chaotic and great. And what is this last thing that you linked? I have The Theater of Cruelty. Um, so somebody on AO3 posted this fic about Dave, and Dave is this character that has time travel powers. So there are multiple scenes throughout canon where he meets up with five different versions of himself from alternate timelines, and half of them are dead. And So in this fic, it's just different versions of Dave standing around, like, acting super cool, and it's very, very, very postmodern. And so it's like Waiting for Godot meets Homestuck meets internet memes. And somebody took it and they read the fic and they read a a pod fic of the fic while they were video recording themselves acting out the story with Ken dolls. (laughs) And it is, um, it's an experience. (laughs) I'm not sure, I'm not putting it down in the recommendation section. I'm not sure it's a recommendation (laughs) exactly, but it's definitely something that if you've ever been interested in Homestuck or just for completionist sake, you need to watch because it's, it's definitely a one of a kind experience. And I have to say, as it turns out, yesterday I decided to go through what I had on a backlog of Homestuck Podfic to listen to, just to get some recs. And I had ripped the audio from this, and I did not realize what the video entailed. So I've listened to the audio, and now I definitely have to watch the rest of this, because it is just a bunch of identical Ken dolls, except for they have different symbols on their shirts. It looks fantastic, and I have to watch this after the episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's Podfic, also acted out with Kindles. Given how often I've wished that I could draw something, resorting to using Barbie and Kendalls actually seems like suddenly a very viable option for my artistic skill level. We never talked about shipping. Okay, we're going to have to talk about shipping, aren't we? So the trolls have a different idea of romance, and then there's some other characters. It's the, what do you call them, Midnight Crew. What is their species? 
The Felt. The Felt, yeah. They have a very different idea of romance, which we won't even get into. And then there's the Calliope and Calibor and the snake things, the uh, cherubs. But the one that gets a lot of time in the plot is the troll's idea of romance. Do you want to try to explain that or should I? Do you remember when you were doing genetics back in, you know, junior high or high school and you had your Punnett squares and, you know, you'd figure out uh, what is a dominant trait, what is a recessive trait. It's it's akin to that in that there are two aspects to romance and there are two versions of each aspect. So you can have whether or not something is physical or emotional, they call it conciliatory and concupiscent is that right yeah so you can have whether or not you know it's going to be a physical act or not and then the other aspect is whether or not the relationship is based upon pity or based upon hatred so what you end up with is four different types of relationships which they call quadrants and so you can have a physical relationship based on pity or a non-physical relationship based on pity. And you can also have a physical relationship based on hatred and a non-physical relationship based on hatred. And for the trolls, each of these is as important as the others. Sort of to become a fully self-actualized troll, you want to have a partner in each of those four relationships. And so the, the lovely result of this is you get a lot of the non-physical pity, so you get a lot of like friendship fix, and you also get a lot of the uh, physical hatred. So you get a lot of, and I'm not 100% sure what the policy of cursing is on this podcast, but you get a lot of hate fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like canonical hate sex, a lot of it, and then a canonical... Like, I don't know, probably the human equivalent would be asexuality, where they're romantically involved, but just don't want to touch each other like that. So to actually give them their names, the the platonic pity would be your moirail, and that is sort of your, your bestest best friend that helps you through life and keeps you calm or encourages you to do things. And so there there's a whole glut of just fix where they're just cuddling and talking about their feelings lots of cuddling yes there's so much cuddling and this notion of uh pale porn or of people almost getting off in a way to watching people cuddling (laughs) yes yes and then at the same time then they go off to their their other partner and they just beat the hell out of each other and then they screw and it's great and so the, the the very interesting thing about that is it basically creates canonical polyamory, but also allows you to explore relationships between two characters in a variety of different manners. They don't have to just, you know, want to get married and have babies, but they could also just like want to punch each other in the face or they might want to just like sit down and have hot chocolate and watch a movie together or the like. It also leads to interesting shipping discourse where people get mad at each other because they're shipping two characters together, but in a different way than other people want them to. Like, no, their relationship's platonic. No, it's totally sexual. No, it's not. They pity each other. No, it's hate. It's totally hate. Can't you see the hatred in their eyes? (laughs) And again, because Andrew Hussey said, like, all ships and all fan trolls are canon, Everything's supposed to be perfectly acceptable, but of course, this is shipping wars, so of course, there are shipping wars. And it's very directly addressed in the comic, not only like the difference in this romance, but the idea of shipping. There is a specific character, actually, two different characters, who are very focused on the relationships of their companions. Not necessarily trying to hook them up, but being all about that business when they find out somebody has hooked up. Somebody, you remember that scene where Carcat is trying to draw the shipping grid and Dave's like, <laughs> stop drawing, no right angles, stop drawing, I'm stealing the pencil from you. Um, somebody is 
acted that out, animated it, and did all the voice acting and stuff and put it on YouTube. And it is hilarious. <laughs> Where Dirk's like, put, David's like, put the pencil down, Carcat. And Carcat's like, no, we can work our relationship out. It's just a matter of proper scheduling. So you can hate her on Tuesdays, and I'll hate her on Wednesdays. And <laughs> don't you dare draw a right angle. Hey, let go of my pencil. <laughs> it's, like, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it leads to so much drama as people try and work out where they want to end up extremely extremely good fix as people either work out what they want to be or they just end up like in these enormous piles of just okay on this occasion we're gonna be cuddling on on this occasion we're gonna be doing the do and you know this isn't even getting into some of the perversities of sexual relationships among the trolls because they have both right so they have a bulge and a nook and the bulge, we're kind of left to our imagination, but we imagine it's, is it more like a penis in some fix and more like a tentacle? And then they have a receptacle and, oh, and then there's the buckets. Um, so I will say that it's never confirmed in canon that they are uh, a hermaphroditic species, but pretty much like all fans agree that they are. That they have both traditionally or purportedly male and female genitalia. Uh, and then, then you come across Fix where like they're like, we're going to make some really weird genitalia. Yeah, normally it's something like a vagina and something either like a penis or like an actual tentacle. <laughs> which, is, which is very good for me. Huh, I didn't realize it wasn't canonically informed, formed because there are definitely characters that make jokes about the bone bulge or the nook or yeah it's just never explicitly stated that those are sexual parts of the body and i think part of that of course is i imagine andrew hussey didn't want to you know actually do a chart of genitalia when these characters are you know between 12 and 17 years of age that would be a little bit weird a lot of widely accepted headcanons though Speaking of headcanons, I guess that can kind of transition us to our next topic, that there are some things as a webcomic that are done well and other things that are not. There's maybe some warnings we have to give with the show. The creator, Andrew Hussey, one thing is that the, the trolls are all gray-skinned and there's green-skinned and lots of different skin colors, but all of the original humans are white, but as in the sense of like, straight, plain, white, no color at all. And somebody at one point pointed out to him, like, are these characters white their race? Do we not need some people of color in this thing? And, and so he did say, like, I don't care what race you draw them as, you know, whatever makes you happy. And so there, there are a lot of fan casts of the characters as people of color. And so on the one hand, he probably should have thought of that before he started and included a little bit more diversity in the canon. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, when it was pointed out to him, he was as far as I can tell, like generally apologetic and says, you know, you can fan cast them as any race you want. Uh, so Hussey's not like, I think in, in times he tries, it fails a lot, but, but tries as well. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was kind of an oversight on his part, which was reimagined by him as a choose whatever you want as an individual, you know, leaving it open for people. But it really does seem like it was an oversight on his part. That said, uh, there is a fair amount of the official merchandise which does portray the characters as people of color. So there, at least some of the merchandising opportunities have been a little bit more representative of non-white people. Now, his record on gender is a bit more ambiguous. There's a lot of, I don't know, ironic sexism where like the bad guy just goes on these rants about how much he hates women and bitches, but like he's the bad guy, so you're not supposed to take it seriously. And Hussey's like, it's a joke, ha ha. He's the bad guy, don't take him seriously. And I'm like, ah. Mm. This is a character, like the main villain, that for a while I was actually not enamored, but he, he, he seemed fairly cute for a while. He was comedically inept and very angry. But then as the story goes on, he it turns into a very explicit and uncomfortable portrayal of this character's sexism, which it's also a commentary on 
fan communities as well, because this character at one point is sort of reimagining the comic itself. So he's taking the comic and then putting his own spin on it. And he's doing things, you know, in criticism of fan communities and especially of the Homestuck fan community of like, you know, pushing the female characters aside and setting up, you know, romances between the, you know, two male characters and, you know, holding them up high above the female characters. Whereas in the comic itself, there's actually, a, I've seen uh, analyses of this and it's actually a very equal representation. Yeah. I saw somebody doing a, you know, Bechdel test is not the end all of representation, but somebody did an analysis and there's something like 80% of the conversations at the time that they did this were between two of the female characters and not talking about any of the male characters. There are there are a lot of incredibly badass female characters that I love. And so I, I guess I kind of believe him when he says, well, you're not supposed to take this bad guy seriously. He's the bad guy. But still, it's like, did, did you have to give him five pages ranting about bitches? Like, yeah, it was, it was a very uncomfortable section to read as a woman. But he does talk like a dude on the internet and he's supposed to be a dude on the internet. I don't know. It, it, again, it's, it's how do you criticize something in uh, such a way as to not also give fuel to the problem. I think he did probably about as well as he could with this character. But again, it is when you get to the section, it will be uncomfortable just of how accurate to real life it is. And again, he was talking about with this character, he was criticizing the fan community and how that, yes, as, as fans at the time, a lot of these women characters were being pushed aside in favor of the men and the relationships between men. So that, you know, a lot of the fanfics you'll run across are just between the the men of the universe. Yeah, it's so disappointing because there are, there's equal numbers of men and women. There's, you know, four human women, four human men. There's... Uh, six troll women there's six troll men and they all are fully realized well some more than others but there are some women that are really fully realized characters they're amazing they're so badass their storylines don't revolve around women at all uh but then you look on ao3 and it's like 90 percent about the dudes and i'm like yeah. fandom why are you like this <laughs> yeah like it's remarkable for the size of this cast that nobody feels like a throwaway character everybody has you know, their interests and their motivations and their own storyline. And they might die earlier than others, but they are not themselves a plot element in somebody else's story. They have their own story and it happens to end. Like, um, I should give an example, some of my favorites. Kanaya is amazing. She has this green lipstick that turns into a chainsaw. So she's like gorgeous and she designs all of her own clothes and she's a fashion designer, but don't take her off because she literally chainsaws a dude in half at one point i love her so much who else uh the, the very complex and often controversial character of riska that mm. she is quite often and very canonically she is a terrible person uh but she has these very understandable motivations of why she does things and I, I will admit that for the majority of the comic i do very much root for her even though she's doing objectively some terrible things you can understand completely why she's doing these things yeah she just she wants to be a hero really and save the day and it does that mean you have to endanger people's lives first so you can swoop in and save them oh well and i mean there's also you know if, if we're going to say that there are main characters in the comic you know there's like a main character per each group and whereas in the first one it would be John in this in the there's another character who is his counterpart called Jane that is just as strong as him. But she also has some emotional issues that get very much focused on and not as in like, oh, there's something wrong with her. More like these are legitimate problems that people have in life and that she gets to work through them. And she comes out as a very, very strong character and actually ends you know, not to give too much spoilers, but kind of ends the comic as being a 
corporate mogul. And then there's uh, Jade. She has space power. She can shrink planets down to the size of, like, pool balls and juggle them. It's She's amazing. I love her so much. She is almost overpowered in the sense of the comic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of these very, very powerful, compelling women characters who are often overlooked by fans, though not always. There are, because there is so much fan media, you can definitely find things for pretty much any uh, any character. It's just not to the degree of other characters. And a lot of uh, canon LGBTQ ships. So I'm trying to think who ends up canon. Like, how can we do this without spoiling things? Um, Rosemary. Yeah, Rosemary <laughs> is canonical. I'm going to edit out, out so many things so we don't spoil that a little bit. Yeah. And I, I I don't think we addressed this, but one of the, the good things about the the troll notion of romance is that it is in no way gendered. Uh, they they have no concept of what homosexuality is in that they don't distinguish between a romance between a man and a woman and a man and a man or a woman and a woman. They're just they're all relationships and except for one character who is sort of said to have a lady fetish in a way they're all bisexual among the humans that's not the case but we also see that they have different sexualities and they explore their sexuality or at least discuss it as the com- as the comic goes on so there there's really not a shirking away from same sex couples Gosh, in fact, I'm trying to remember if there are any different sex canon couples in the end of this comic. Are there? I don't think there are. No. Everybody ends up having a fling. Well, I mean, Dave and Terezi kind of flirt, and maybe they have something going on there, but yeah. As As far as confirmed things. Yeah. Everybody we see, like, confirmed in a relationship, even though there's one that definitely breaks up pretty badly towards the end, is queer. I mean, I guess what I would say is that, yes, the comic is pretty much done at this point. So the fandom is a lot more subdued now. So it's not going to be um, it's not going to be as as chaotic or contentious as it was in the early and mid 2010s. But there is plenty of material that you can still go through and find. And on occasion, you will manage to find somebody who is still willing to talk about their homestuck past. But I will say, among my old cosplay group, I think there's one person who will still talk about it with me, and it's always such a shock when I actually see somebody posting anything Homestuck-related on Facebook or Tumblr, because to an extent, people have left it behind a little bit, but there's plenty that you can go back and experience. Yeah, I actually heard an interesting recommendation. So Act 1, it starts out really really simple it's mostly just black and white drawings and ms paint and he didn't bother to color in much but then later on as the show got more and more fans he added in more illustrators and artists and music and so by the end like act six act seven some of the the artwork is gorgeous and they also have all the really fun characters you have the trolls and the felt and uh, so I, I heard somebody recommend you should even just jump in on Act 5 because that's where everybody meets the <laughs> trolls. And I don't know. How would you feel about that? So I did. Uh, if anybody was aware of the uh, old podcast slash report, um, I did an episode on Homestuck for them as well. And we had this discussion, me and like three or four of my Homestuck friends talking about, you know, is it okay to skip to Act 5? And it was it was such a you know, uproar from everyone when somebody brought that up. But I would say at this point, go ahead, do what you want. Like, this is your entertainment. Read however you want. If you want to go ahead and read Act 5 and get to the trolls right away, that's perfectly fine. It's it's your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to spend your time on something, spend it on how you're going to enjoy it. 
And I, I do like Act One, but I can see why it puts people off because the art style is so simple. And then he does wander around taking random weird suggestions from the internet for a long time. But really, at any point you jump into the series, you're going to be really confused for a while. So yeah, if you want to skip ahead to where the story really picks up and you meet the more interesting characters and it's the artwork's really good and it's all full car- full color and stuff. Yeah, act five, maybe. Mm-hmm. There is another thing I definitely would be remiss if I didn't mention, which is the wiki. So mm-hmm. the first time through Homestuck, you're going to be very confused. And I had to read it with the wiki open in another tab. And so every once in a while, I'd be like, okay, which version of the character is this? Oh, yeah, this is the one that's from that alternate universe that then got thrown back in time 3.14 million years. And, oh, this guy. Okay, now I know what's going on. So uh, if you do get totally lost, there is a wiki that outlines all of the characters, all of the plot, and, and can keep you caught up on which universe you're in now and how they're all related. And That said, I, I've always been impressed by how memorable the characters are, that there is an enormous cast, and yet I you can... If you've read through and you can name every one of the characters, you know, first name, last name, what zodiac sign they have, what color they're associated with, and what their interests are. There, there's such compelling characters that even with this enormous cast, you will remember, I would say, most of the aspects of their character. I was going to say, like, yeah, the humans, there's eight humans, and then dad and mom, and then alternate reality versions of them, and then there's... 24 trolls and then alternate reality versions of them and then there's the felt and there's the cherubs and like so there's a there's a good cast of 60 70 80 characters and then alternate Mm -hmm. reality versions of all of them and i could probably like yeah like you said look at them and be like oh yeah that one that one that one and i'm 50 of them are pretty memorable some of the yeah some of the troll ancestors i've never got that good a beat on so yeah just just enjoy it however you will really If, if we can get more Podfickers into this to record stories for us and to uh, fuel our our addiction. That would be great. Please and record <laughs> stuff about the ladies. I know yes. there's some fem slash people here. Record stuff about the homestuck ladies. I need more fem slash homestuck. Yes, it's out there. Just 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 please record it for us because I personally am lazy. <laughs> and so so from there, I guess we can get into Rex. And just, it seems like, just looking at this, we need to just start out by saying thank you to Opalsong. Yes! Opalsong has done a lot of Homestuck, and she has such a inspiring range of voices that, you know, with this large cast, you can still tell them apart from each other. Like, part of me the other day was thinking about just her ability and like half wondering like is opal song secretly a robot because she has so many voices and she records so much in many different fandoms and i i don't know what she does other than recording but you know thank you thank you opal song for my alien filth ITPE last year, Opal Song recorded me over 24 hours. It's over a day of Homestuck Podfic. It's the Covalent Bond series and the um, <gasps> the Family You Choose series. Oh, those are all my two listen list. Like mm-hmm. I went through all of my all of the like you know one shot fix yesterday, and now I'm like, oh, I can finally get onto these like very long things because she also recorded. And I guess we're going to have to add this to the rec list. I think my two most favorite stories, uh, which are the Human Behavior series, which are absolutely filthy BDSM fix. And they are amazing. I've read them. I just haven't listened to her version yet. And I don't know what's wrong with me for not having done that. Wow, I'm gonna have to listen to those. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it, it's it's Cronus and Cancri, which... It's very good for me. Yeah. She recorded the Awake at Night series, which is finished. And then she also recorded the Covalent Bond series, which I just looked up right now. And a new story got posted in April. So it looks like it's still very, very, very slowly updating. But the series as a whole is 60,000 words and still counting. My first rec is definitely Opal Song because you can't do a podcast about homestuck without mentioning Opal Song. But my favorite of hers 
is Carcat Vantis's Guide to Save Sex with Aliens. <laughs> yes. Yes, right? Even if you've never seen Homestuck and have no intention, just go ahead and listen to this. It's short. It's only, what, like seven minutes long? But I was just, every single time I'm listening to it, I'm crying laughing. So there's a point in the series when a bunch of human teenagers and a bunch of troll teenagers get stranded on this meteor together with no adult supervision. So, of course, hanky-panky ensues. And it's just... Carcat, who's really angry and shouty all the time, is like, okay, assholes, sit your butts down. It's time for safe sex and sex ed. And so here I'm going to tell you about anatomy. And I'm going to tell you about, like, and it's, he's just ranting and screaming about safe sex. And it's the, like, literally crying with laughter, her performance. And if you want to get an idea of the potential of sexy times in Homestuck Fix, it is a great introduction, very quick to get through, and you will be left with an idea of the potential that awaits you. Just that line about like, well, if you can't deal with it, just alchemize yourself a shame stick. (laughs) Uh, A similar story I recommend is an aspiring novelist with a crippling addiction to gay alien porn which is written by Suburbanite and read by Brickgrass. Um, and this is a story in which Carcat uh, Vantis, that same character who's teaching about same sex, is writing a... He, he says it's a... It's literature, but really it, it's an erotic novel. And another one of the characters that's stuck on him with the meteor, Dave, starts out saying he's bored out of his mind and just wants something to read, but eventually gets like really into the characters that... Carcat has created and through this he learns about troll romance and troll sexual practices and becomes quite interested in the potential of both the story and the author. There's not that much sexy time itself at the end of that fic but it is the entire thing is quite hilarious. You want to go ahead and do the rest of your recs then? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Looks like I've got a couple. So another one by Opal Song that I've re- listened to several times and I, I know I wrecked on the Slash Report episode. It's called Big Brother by Rimbaum. This is set in a world where it's just the first four you know, human characters and also some of their guardians. And it's actually focusing on Dave Strider's older brother, who's just known as Bro. But the plot is that Bro has been raising Dave Strider, but he's been raising him thinking it is Elizabeth Strider, his little sister, until Elizabeth comes forward and tells his brother, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And so then this story is about Bro learning about his little sister is actually his little brother going to the doctor to get hormone treatment and dealing with society as, you know, he, they start out living in like deep South Texas or, or at least Austin, I think they're living in Texas and, you know, dealing with one of, at one point, one of Dave's teachers refusing to refer to Dave as a boy and saying that Dave is a girl and bro kind of rising to the occasion and uh, raising Dave as a boy and a very well-adjusted child and it's it has definitely made me cry a few times just this very well thought out trans representation and my last one is a little bit weird it's called detective pony it's written by jan Batencourt and sonic stuck and i have to explain this in the in Homestuck, at one point, a character is trying to cheer up their friend. So they take, like, one of those horse adventure books and starts he starts adding in his own, like, subplots and commentary to it within the actual Homestuck comic. And it's very absurd and strange. Well, this story took the entirety of that actual book and turned it into that. And so it starts off, like, a little bit weird, but eventually, like... They, they they discover that, like, one of the characters is, like, a god, and, like, there's a... They go to alternate dimensions. It's almost like an echo of the Homestuck story. And there there's a lot of literature references, a lot of Greek philosophy that's mentioned. Uh, but it's all done in a very deadpan manner. Um, 
And you can find that on YouTube. It's read by Duckface, but it's on the YouTube channel of Naked Bee, who is the same person who did uh, the Theater of Cruelty that we talked about earlier. Okay, I'm looking here now. I have not heard this, but they literally took this little girl's pony book and added in their own commentary in the voice of Dave and read all the entire book aloud. That, yes. That's amazing. It, it gets, like, incredibly, like, cerebral. Like, if you are a philosophy person, this is probably actually, like, going to, like, you're probably going to yell at it because I'm sure there's a lot wrong with it, but you're probably going to love it still. Well, I mean, that's Dave. Yeah. So this is Dirk. This is Dirk that oh, does this. Still, Dirk. I forgot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Who is, who is like Dave. Yeah, so... <laughs> Philosophy, irony, sarcastic asshole, so damaged, you love him anyway. <laughs> yes. Okay, and uh, so that's the end of mine, and go ahead. My other two recs are not actually Homestuck, but you should just go listen to all of Opal Song's stuff, as we've covered. But I also wanted to rec, like, Heaven to Touch by Lizzie Lee Song, and there's two podfix of it. There's one by Lunchy and one by Rhea314, and they are both amazing. The one I listened to just this past week was Lunchy's, and so I'm going to comment on that one. Because she does this really adorable Yurio voice. And it's it's about like Victor being really possessive of Yuri and wanting him to wear his Team Russia jacket. And all the other Russian skaters are like, oh, you and your boyfriend are so gross. And Yurio in particular is just like, I think I'm going to be sick. And I love her. I love her Yurio. And so it's just about you know, how, how much Victor likes it when Yuri wears his Team Russia jacket and then there is Team Russia jacket sexy times. Spoiler. And then the next one is, I was kidnapped by burly Kunari pirates, which actually, let me pause this. I'm getting the feeling all of a sudden that we wrecked this recently. <laughs> like that's going to stop us. Yeah. Well, maybe if it was just like the last episode, I probably need to give it a break. No. Okay, it looks like it hasn't been wrecked recently. So it's a Dragon Age Inquisition podfic, and it was written by Homsantov and read by Kess, where it's about Dorian, who gets kidnapped by Kunari pilots. And this leads to a lot of sex. It's, it's very much a parody of the Harlequin romance style. And then on the way of like sleeping with the entire crew of this pirate ship, he manages to find true love. And so Kess's reading is delightful. I love her accent. And she just does a really, really good Dorian. I love her Dorian voice where uh, just, you know, seductive when it needs to be. But then also they're like, but I can't have feelings. That's terrible. No. And the dawning realization that he's in love. I, I loved her take on Dorian. And she also does a really deep bull voice. So that sounds very similar to canon. And uh, so it was, it was, what, three and a half hours long? So three and a half hours of just definitely Harlequin-style shenanigans, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I gotta say, I'm trying my hardest to play through Dragon Age because there's so much Dragon Age podfic out there that it's just like, I want to know what the plot of the game is before I get into this, and it's just taking forever. Yeah, I couldn't make it to Skyhold. I played 50 hours. I did Every single subquest, and then finally was in the in the fight where they lose Haven and have to flee to Skyhold, and my character died, and then like my save cartridge mm-hmm. stopped working. Oh no! Yes, so I am I'm still trying to get myself to go back and see if I can regain everything I lost, but I don't I don't want to have to put another fifty hours in. I really really don't. Uh, were you playing on the computer or on? Uh... Xbox One. And so I called tech support and asked them about this. And they're like, yeah, sometimes the save files just get corrupted. Sorry, you just have to restart the game. Better luck next time. Ouch. Because like, I know with some, you know, computer games, you can go out and you can find somebody's old save file. And maybe it's not the same thing you did, but at least you're not like losing 50 hours. I would love that. So if anybody knows a hack to work this out for the Xbox, so I can just jump straight to where the Skyhold plot begins, just let me know, please. I would be eternally grateful. Yeah, I have a feeling Xbox probably makes this more difficult and 
probably even on PC it's difficult. It's it's not a very simple game. Like I I've I've seen this with like Stardew Valley or something like that. A, a more simple game that you can just go get somebody's save game. Um but maybe somebody out there knows and can help. Please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining this month uh, for Oral Phonic, and we look forward to talking with you next month. So, once again, this is Kitsune Heart and Hanunabira. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.